Welcome to episode 174 of Reclaiming the Faith. Today, we'll be looking at some ways to keep a church healthy in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. If you haven't done so yet, please take a minute to leave us a positive rating and review on our Spotify channel or our Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, you can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And you can check out my catalog of podcasts for my show, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. Also, I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback, and paperback formats on Amazon. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a review there as well. And finally, we're blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency. And you can find links to all of our content there at omegafrequency.com. All right, let's get into episode 174. All right, Steph, we're on the home stretch. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so only looking at a few verses today. Yeah, just a few. Just a few. Uh, Almost some like bullet point kind of things. If uh, if y'all remember the last time we were... We, 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 for the last two episodes, we've been looking at a lot of the second coming, mm-hmm. right? And in the last episode, Paul talked about the second coming, and he also used these phrases like, live as a son of the light. You remember that? Yeah. We're not sons of the darkness. We're sons of the light. And so as we transition now into these next four verses, you're going to see um, some different ways that the sons of light behave, Now, um, Paul has already been referencing um, different words of Jesus um, and talking about citizens of the, like ways that citizens of Jesus' kingdom live, but he's going to continue to do that. And uh, to some extent, he's going to be doing that uh, in a church setting and then like gathering assembly of the believer type setting. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to come back to um, how we should live out in the world as well, okay? So, uh, Steph, would you mind reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15? Yeah. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Yeah. So let's get into this. He's talking to the church clearly to everybody. Now it's interesting you have in verse 12, we ask that you approach, you respect those mm-hmm. who diligently labor. Is that what yours says? Who labor among you. Who labor among you. Now, mine, and you have the ESV out. Mm-hmm. I have the NAS out. Uh-huh. And it says appreciate. But the root word is know. That you know them. That's the like most basic translation of it. And in the word biblical commentary that is done by F.F. Bruce, he just translates that straight up. 
know. And that's interesting. Like, of course, we should respect them. We should appreciate them. And Paul hits on that in verse 13 when he says that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Mm -hmm. But why would it be important, Steph, that if you're going to have people over you, that you really know them? Well, if you don't know them, then they probably don't know you. Like they can't be the right kind of leader to you if you don't have like a relationship with them. Mm. That's my immediate thought. Okay. Yeah. And these people are over the church. Yeah. What kind of what kind of damage could a leader do oh, <laughs> over the church? Yeah, I mean, I guess if they're not a like good person or not a you know true follower of Jesus, then they could destroy a church. Right, which is yeah. maybe why some of the qualifications for overseers are like, I mean, it seems like they're just like common, like this is how a Christian should behave. But yeah. there are some incredible warnings towards people in leadership. It seems like leaders get held by Jesus to a much higher standard. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can you can see why looking at like what what happens, what's happened culturally with churches like, you you learn to trust your spiritual authority and if they're a crooked person or they're someone who is misled then they will take the whole church with them potentially right and you know in this ihop situation right now yeah um as they're going through in the midst of this scandal mm-hmm. as we speak today january 31st we're recording this yeah they're, they've just concluded an, uh, uh, an investigation on Mike Bickle. Yeah. Their, their lawyer has, their internal lawyer. Mm-hmm. They have not released the names of the people on their board to the people, to their members. So it's a secret board? It's a secret board. Mm. Who's, who's in charge of IHOP? Yeah. Now, IHOP is telling people that if a leader has mistreated you, and uh, you know has treated you very inappropriately, you need to make sure you come directly to us. But they're not telling you who they are. Mm. They're telling the people that they're a very safe place. Yeah. But they're not telling the people who the leaders are. How do, how do the members of IHOP know it's a safe place if you won't tell us who's in charge? Mm. Okay. How can we hold the leadership accountable if we don't even know their names, yeah, much less their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I, I'm sure Paul didn't have this completely in mind, this kind of a weird yeah. situation no. in mind. Yeah. But the idea that you need to know your leaders well mm-hmm. before you put them in. You know, Paul talks in 1 Timothy 3 about how like an overseer should not be a recent convert. And how he needs to be able to manage his family well. Because if he doesn't know how to manage his family well, then how can he take care of the household of God? He needs to be uh, above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. All of those characteristics have to apply to someone who's like overseeing a church. Right. If you don't know who they 
are, how can you know who's running? I mean, it's this is yeah. important. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, but like the situation you're describing, like obviously that's not that's not really what Paul had in mind, but you should know the church. Like you should know the leadership and they should know you hopefully so that you can be, they can help you, you know, when you're struggling and all the things that we talked about in this passage, you know, if you're faint hearted or weak, those kind of things they would know. Yeah. And one of those things, you know, in addition to their character being above reproach, these people really need to be able to teach, not that they're necessarily teachers, because if these people who are leading and overseeing a congregation are not able to teach, how are they going to be holding the congregation accountable? Mm. What is the standard that they're going to be using? Is it just going to be worldly wisdom or is it going to be the word of God? Mm-hmm. Is it just going to be like previous church tradition or is it going to be the word of God? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you know these people? Do you know and are you judging these leaders according to the word of God? Know these people that are over you in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, this word over you or who well, let's, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a second. Who diligently labor among you. That doesn't necessarily mean, and it doesn't, didn't mean back then that they were getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that they're like working hard for you to probably help exhort you. Like they're going to talk about like um, admonish you. They're going to be teaching you um, in the scriptures, these kinds of things. So they're probably, you know, working hard with the scriptures, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Uh, Making sure that people are being taken care of. These kinds of ideas. Um, But again, the modern church setting of like a full-time pastor, Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, I (laughs) I just closed out. Um, The beginning... Verse chapter, uh, verse 12, we ask you, um, oh, sorry, it's verse 13 where it says, it says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Um, that was really sticking out to me because it kind of had more of a, um, I don't know, more of an air to it. Like they've, they've earned this, this respect and you, because of, the work that you're seeing them do, not just like they've been given this title and you have to, without thinking, yield all of this respect and devotion and um, adoration to them, like they're on a pedestal or something, but like they should be setting the example and you should be respecting them because of how they are serving because of the work they're doing. And, you know, when somebody is a great servant leader, like you can't help but respect them. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to use the phrase like promote from within, but that's generally how things are going in these types of churches. You're not hiring someone from the outside with a degree from seminary to be your pastor Mm -hmm. because yours left. You know, if you're doing the work of the church right, you're developing people from within. Yeah. You're training them up so you know them well and they've been 
laboring diligently among you so that they then continue those acts. Mm -hmm. That's part of their DNA almost, their spiritual DNA to serve. Yeah. And so, yeah, you are honoring them. Now, how are you honoring them? Well, you're hopefully taking care of their needs too. You don't want to mm -hmm. let one of your shepherd, your shepherds, you know, yeah. uh, starve. That yeah. would not be good. But a good shepherd is also not abusing and uh, neglecting the sheep. Yeah, I think in a lot of churches, like pastors get really burnt out. And so um, because so much of that comes from, well, I guess, it, I mean, that's the good and the bad of having people that are paid ministers. If somebody is a, the paid staff member, you know, yes, that's good that they're, you know, getting paid for the work that they do. That's great. They can devote more of their time. But because of that, a lot of times um, congregants can be ultra demanding of that as if like, you know, I pay my tithes. This is, you owe this now, or you're getting paid to do this work and we're all volunteers. But if everyone's a volunteer, like, you know, we all have to chip in. Like it's kind of, I don't know, a different approach. Absolutely. And and you're going to see a little bit later what Paul has to say about people who refuse to work. Right. Yeah. Um, another detail to notice in this is that you don't have a pastor mentioned. Yeah. It's a plurality of leaders, mm -hmm. those who diligently labor among you. This letter is written within maybe a couple of months of Paul leaving Thessalonica, and he was only there for a month or two. So it has not been a long time. Yeah. And so this is like a new, a new group. Paul is not using words like elders and deacons, though that's something that he does. Mm -hmm. um, and he's done that in Galatia in chapter 14 of Acts. He established uh, elders there in Galatia in the Galatian churches, but it's almost like he didn't have time to do that, but it, they just kind of fall, these leaders have kind of fallen into place mm -hmm. without the title, which is cool because that's kind of how like small house groups small groups kind of function yeah. without the title because they're not in it for the title. It's just kind of, you, you see these giftings kind of take, take shape. Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, take note of that. Hold these people in high regard, um, very highly in love because of their work. It's kind of interesting that you see some similarities in uh, 1 Timothy 5, um, 17. Steph, would you mind um, pulling up First Timothy uh, 5, 17 through 18. Okay. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserve, deserves his wages. All right. So Paul's clearly talking about helping to support people. Now, uh, in, in like house church situation uh, in Ephesus, you have house churches everywhere in the first century there. There are gonna be times when it, it would be appropriate to help a person out like that if they're struggling. Yeah. You know, and um, I think that may be what Paul is talking about there. 
Let's make sure we take care of these guys if they're struggling. Don't let these guys, you know, suffer mm-hmm. in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because they're worthy of it. Now, do they, are they required to, to take some kind of financial compensation? Paul uses the same verse that don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing in 1 Corinthians 9. And he talks about how he and Barnabas had the right, you know, they've, they've got the right, or him and Silas had the right to, um, he talks about how he has the right to have received wages from them because the scriptures say, don't muzzle an ox while it's threshing and God doesn't care about oxen, does he? But he didn't want to be a burden to them. So he he tries to set the example for them, Mm -hmm. just like he's doing here. He's trying to set the example for people and you're going to see that in uh, a later part of the Thessalonian letters of the person who refuses to work should not eat. So Paul is like, guys, let's let's work. Whether you're in leadership or not. Yeah, I think that you can make an argument that they could have paid staff and that could be okay. But I think that the um that that's not what he was going for. I think that it's all about um serving the body and meeting those needs. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, we, we've done the house church thing in a couple of different settings, but we've also met at a church and we've, you know, you've been on staff at another church and it is, I think that part of the supporting and respecting and esteeming and all of that, it it come, you know, you need to be, I don't know, I just keep using the word serving, but like that in, in a, physical church building that might look like volunteering. Like you need to make yourself available to help support. Like you, you can't be going to, going to church to be fed. You need to be the church and that sort of thing, whatever the setting is. Like if it's, if it's a big church building, it's going to require a lot more volunteers and a lot more people giving in, but we still have roles in, um, in the house church setting as well. Yeah. yeah. And so then Paul says, uh, live at peace with everyone. Now he doesn't leave that um, vague. He then begins to show how we live at peace mm-hmm. as a church. Right. Here's some ways. And the first one is he says, we urge you, sorry. Yeah. We urge you brethren to admonish the unruly. So we'll hit these kind of like bullet points. Mm. Admonish the unruly. So admonish uh, means to uh, urge someone to choose God's best. And it doesn't strictly mean to chastise someone, but it can. It absolutely can mean to chastise someone uh, with correction, exhortation. Um, But you are strongly urging them to get in line with God's path. Now, go ahead. No, yours says unruly, but mine says idle. And mm-hmm. when I hear idle, I think of like somebody who's not working, but unruly kind of gives this meaning of our idea when you think of idle of like somebody who's just like kind of stirring up problems, like they're idle talk kind of thing. Like they're not, they're not helping to 
forward the cause. So it may yeah. not ne- just necessarily be somebody who, you know, can't and won't work. Yeah, that is not... The the not working thing is something you get later in like second thus okay. more. This is more someone who's like out of order mm-hmm. with uh, God's directives, okay. God's guideline, God's guidelines. Yeah. So this is a very general thing where they are refusing to do what God says we're supposed to do. Yeah. And our job to live at peace in the community. We are supposed to admonish them. That's a first step. Let's do like something over the internet that's happening. Like it's it's really difficult to do things face to face. But you know, putting someone on blast may not be the best approach. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like doing a public kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's best to take that first Matthew 18 step and do it a private. Yeah. Brother, you need to repent. Yeah. Private kind of thing and admonish them. It's kind of like the idea of like gentleness. Like I heard a definition of gentleness is like using the least force necessary. Mm -hmm. And so like you don't, if you can go to that person directly, yeah, you should. You definitely should. But if this is somebody who's like, yeah, criminal kind of thing or something else, then that's, that's out of the question. So you have to take it maybe the step beyond, but use the least, you're not trying to humiliate them when that's unnecessary or when, when we can do it without that. We want, you know, brothers and sisters to be restored. I had this thought as I was reading this and maybe this is almost so basic, but the being at peace, um, like among yourselves kind of idea I was imagining even in like a, you know, regular traditional church setting and in a house church, how much time can be spent on dealing with like interpersonal conflicts as the leader and how that's distracting from like doing the work of like sharing the gospel or discipling and how that is not it's not the best use of their time. So if we're creating problems or somebody is not helping to restore peace, that can not support their leaders. Then it says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. So this uh, encourage word, uh, it, 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 it means like cheering someone up soothing them with a personal touch, showing showing sympathy, comforting, coming close beside them. Um, And then the faint-hearted is someone without like an underdeveloped or undeveloped soul. (laughs) Um, I shouldn't have, I don't mean to laugh there. It's just kind of an interesting phrase that you don't hear. Mm. You know, someone with like a, they haven't developed their individuality yet. They, they don't have a strong sense of, of self yet. Yeah. So like what was coming to my mind was Matthew, um, like Levi. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes up to him and he sees this guy who's like turned his back on his heritage. Mm-hmm. He's living like the opposite yeah. type of life that he was raised to live. And Jesus goes, follow me. I'm going to bring you in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how to live the life that God has called you to live. Encourage 
the faint-hearted. That's what came to my mind with that from like a biblical perspective. Were any kind of examples or stories coming to your mind? Um, I'm not sure if this would fall under faint-hearted or maybe more like the weak, but I was just thinking of like all of the different ways that we've seen people like meeting needs. Um, you know, like you've got a new mom who is just overwhelmed and like their world just got turned upside down. You know, it's a good thing that's happened in that situation, but they need a lot of support. And so, you know, like offering to clean their house, you know, we've seen people that do like meal train type things or some kind of a collection, something to to help them out. Or we've seen that um, in the past with like helping clean up some, the elderly, like their yard or something, like doing some yard work project for them um, when they can't do it for themselves and how how much of a help that is. Yeah, you know, I, I see this a lot with youth ministry. Yeah. You got these people that haven't developed a sense of self yet. Mm. And like you did a lot of this in, in College Station, mm-hmm. the ministry you were with there. Coming alongside people, meeting up with them regularly Mm -hmm. and encouraging them and teaching them how to find their identity in Jesus, Mm. you know, being like a a big sister for them, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, like healthy, healthy youth ministry um, that's more personalized, not just playing games. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's a time for that, but like but really come alongside these people that don't know who they are and are desperately trying to belong and have a sense of peace mm-hmm. and belonging, like, gosh, it's and hope. Coming alongside them and, and being, that, being that big brother, big sister that's godly, mm-hmm. to me, is a lot of like helping the faint-hearted. But for a lot of folks too, it can be people maybe that have gone through some type of trauma or maybe they're just really new to Christianity mm-hmm. and they don't know how to live it out yet. They, they just don't know. They're, they're very like maybe on fire, but like they love God, but don't know how to, where to channel the energy, don't know where to start, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just really trying to help them develop a foundation. But mm-hmm. then it says, help the weak. Help the weak. This word help means to like lay hold of in a way that matches the object grasped. And then weak is uh, the same word in Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. So what was coming to my mind in terms of like a word picture, if you're, if you're like being an equivalent coming up next to someone and holding on to them, in a in a um, in a way that matches the object that you're grasping, is like I've I've had a lot of injuries mm-hmm. through the years on the yeah. basketball court, and when I've torn my knee, usually there's someone who will come right up under my armpit mm-hmm. and hold me, you know, one side of me, yeah, and it's like matching step for step mm-hmm. to get me where I need to be. Except when you tore your ACL that last time. That last time and I had to hop like a <laughs> quarter of a mile. And you noticed the big difference. <laughs> it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. But like really going step for step, yeah. almost like a good Samaritan, 
sticking with, I'm going to stick with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was coming to your mind with that. Yeah, no, I think I, I was kind of picturing something similar. Like we were lifting somebody up where they're weak. I mean, it's not that we, like when you were injured, it's not that that person was stronger than you. They just weren't injured at that time. So they're, they're helping you and, you know, you could at a different point, be the one to reciprocate that kind of thing. So um, the people that are weak, that doesn't mean that they are weak forever. This is maybe a, a difficult time they're going through. Um, and gosh, everybody's got difficult times they're going to go through. And, you know, it's all around us suffering. So we can be there to lift them up. So like financially, sometimes it's good to help someone with a gift. Yeah. But we've been in situations where it's like, okay, we need to be, if we really want to help them get out of the situation they're in, yeah. we need to help them reassess everything about money mm-hmm. <laughs> and how they're spending, how they're saving, yeah. how they're budgeting, their debt. Mm-hmm. Because if if we don't like help them rethink everything, they're never going to get out of this pit. Right. You got any thoughts with that? Yeah. I mean, I saw my my mom in particular do this for people a lot. Like my parents would, would help people financially at different times. And um, they had no hesitation in giving most of the time, but... Um, they also would, especially if they were giving something substantial or if it was like an ongoing gift or something, a lot of times they would offer to my mom in particular, because she's more of the financially minded one, but helping them get on a budget and helping them to see. And I know like just from having conversations with her sometimes, but some people may not have realized they've spent, you know, $150 on the toll road and they could drive five minutes further you know, and it's saving the money that way, or, you know, you're helping them to reassess. It's kind of like the same idea as the, you know, support that you were describing with an injury. It's like, I'm able to be on the outside helping you. I'm seeing something you're not seeing, maybe um, a different set of eyes on there. Um, Yeah, I think that that's I don't think that that's necessarily always the case. I mean, some people are great with their money and they still struggle financially, but I th- it would make me ask some questions if maybe like this was an ongoing need and they weren't willing to like talk about their budget or something like that. I don't know. I mean, we we try to pray about giving stuff and sometimes we just, we see a need and we help meet it. But um, I think that if we're going to be receiving money, we should, you know, sometimes there's, it's a, it's a gift, yes, but sometimes that person has really got our best interest in heart by helping us to maybe not need that in the future. Well, you know, you've learned so much about finances over the last couple of years. And like, it's just amazing the the amount of knowledge that you have about that. And so I know that, you know, you can help people though you're not like officially like, you know, paid to do this, but 
you know, you, I've seen you give people really good advice, financial advice um, that helps folks. Um, some basic good advice. And, and um, yeah, maybe better than Dave Ramsey. <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, yeah, I have, I have, I have tried to, to learn a lot because... You know, sometimes you don't learn until you've made some mistakes, and it was some mistakes that, um, you know, bad advice that got us into some situations where our money was, you know, maybe not in the best place. And um, so I did learn from that. And just like any other areas, when you there's something that you're learning about that is beneficial to you, you want to pass it on to others. Yeah. Um, I. You know, I want others to, we have to be good stewards of our money. And yeah. that can look a lot of, like a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, we, there's only so much money that we generally have. And so we have to be good with it. And yeah. and that's not just paying our own bills. That's also, you know, meeting others' needs and being there and being obedient with the money that is not our money to begin with. Yeah. So. And then uh, Paul says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Is that so that's, hard for you? Uh, is that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, now, it's really interesting, okay? This be patient, and I say interesting a lot, I found out. Uh, <laughs> Everything is interesting. It, it is. Yeah. It is. But um, be patient with everyone. Now, 1 Corinthians. Yeah. 13. Mm-hmm. Love is. Uh, love is kind. Love is patient. Love is patient. Yeah. Love is kind. Yeah. First Corinthians, five. Same book. Yeah. Has Paul saying, "You guys are allowing this man who's having sexual relations with his stepmother, mm-hmm. and it's like you're proud of it." I've judged this man already and you guys need to kick him out of the church. Yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah. Same book. Mm-hmm. Same book. Is Paul not being patient? Is Paul telling the church to not be loving when he's telling them to kick this man out of the church? So clearly this thing has been going on for a while in 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah. And this person has been very unruly and unruly and unrepentant and unruly and unrepentant and unruly and unrepentant. And so there comes a time when things have to stop. Yeah. So be patient with everyone. You know, this patient means long-tempered, you know, refusing to retaliate with anger. Okay, so can you exercise church discipline without letting your anger cause you to sin, without being retaliatory? Well, yeah, like right. I mean, it goes into right after that, not repaying evil for evil. So, like, right, we're not respond. We're the what is the motivation behind what you're doing? Like, is it restoration and repentance, or you know, are you just angry? Or right. am I just trying to watch their life go up in flames? Like, I'm right. not. If I'm trying to destroy them, 
then 100% I know that I am in the wrong. Even if what they're doing is totally wicked, if I'm if my goal is to destroy them, then there's no way that I'm on the right side. Right. But if my goal is for the dark deeds of darkness to be brought into the light so that there can be repentance. And when I say restoration, I don't necessarily, I mean, restoration of relationships, not necessarily if there's um, rest, like we're like with, uh, you know, somebody who's a pastor who's committing horrible stuff. That doesn't mean that they're going to be a pastor again. Or they can not, maybe not even restoration in relationships, but restoration to the Lord at minimum. That's true. Yeah. Depending on the situation, yeah, it may it may not be um, the relationship restored, but it it should be that both parties are at peace with God, and you yeah. know, there's restoration and repentance. Yeah. yeah, because there's so much more. I mean, there's life beyond this life, you know. And I think that we, you know, we know that, but like we don't live like that. We don't live. Like we're going to, if we're in the middle of doing these, you know, evil deeds or whatever, we're not living like there is going to be a judgment that you face one day. And so our goal in calling for the repentance of somebody is that when they face judgment, that they're in a better position, basically, like they're made right with God again. That's right. And This is all in the context of Jesus is coming back. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back to destroy the evildoers. Yeah. Like this is what's coming. He, not just evildoers, evil. Yeah. So make sure that none of you repays evil with evil, Mm -hmm. but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So... You know, evil is being done to you. Mm-hmm. Don't repay it with evil. That doesn't mean don't confront the evil. Yeah. Clearly, Paul wants you to confront evil because he says, admonish the unruly. So we are supposed to confront evil. You know, Paul Paul in 1 Corinthians again. I mean, like we, there's, there are many... Paul is confronting evil throughout his letters. Yeah. <laughs> like he's constantly confronting evil. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just also had another thought about being patient with yeah. all. Um, I know that I may be calling out something a little too specific, but there have been times when you were like leading a group where you had very strong feelings about something and it's hard to get other people maybe on board or maybe they still weren't seeing it the same way or you know not just you but like in in a leadership type position the being patient may be like being patient that you know praying that you know maybe their hearts would be turned in a certain way or um maybe they would be willing to see things um that may be different than our culture but may it may line up with the bible so like that they might come around being patient with them in the midst of that. Like, um, I'm not expecting you to, you know, like maybe it it took months of studying something before your heart was changed on a particular issue. And you can't expect like you give like a sermon or you give, have a conversation with somebody and they immediately change their mind on it. 
And also like being patient with people might include, you know, like when we've had like divisions in the church, like people that have chosen to go the opposite way from us, whatever that might've involved, being patient and loving toward folks. Like, it's not like, oh, you didn't come with me. Like, screw you. That's not nice language. I probably shouldn't use that in your podcast, (laughs) but I'm done with you. Um, But, you know, being patient, being loving toward them, knowing that, you know, God is the judge of all of this. And, you know, I know that I have to do what God has called me to do. You can also think about it concerning Jesus. Yeah. Jesus rebuked a lot of people that he Mm -hmm. died for. Yeah. Jesus called everywhere he went. He's telling people to repent. Mm -hmm. Every person he interacted with, he died for. Right. So a lot of these people that he was calling to repent thought that he was being hypocritical, thought that he was being, you know, a a tool of Satan. They called him Beelzebub, Mm -hmm. you know, like they totally misjudged why he was calling them to repent. Mm -hmm. And that's going to happen with us as well. And I mean, it has happened. It's happened with mm-hmm. slander, like you talked about, it's happened with libel. Like it, it's happened. It's happened so many times in my life, um, and we we cannot take the retaliatory stance of eye for an eye, mm-hmm. um, or two eyes for one eye. You know, we we can't. We can't do that, but we can still call them to repent. We can still um, distance ourselves from people. And Paul's going to get into that. Like in 2 Thessalonians, If you, he's going to go to this unruly thing again, but with a harsher term. And he's basically going to say, if you got this person who's just refusing, 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 then basically have nothing to do with them. Mm. Don't treat them like an enemy. Think of them like a brother, but have nothing to do with them. So, I mean, there's nuance to this stuff and we've got to keep the letters all in mind, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff together. But, you know, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So, like a doctor how many times a day, even a a good doctor is going to, um, his motives are going to be questioned Mm -hmm. or her motives are going to be questioned. Mm -hmm. Um, People are not going to like them. They're going to write bad reviews about them. Yeah. And also a doctor is called to do good whether the person is one of their favorite patients or a jerk. Right. And um, so this this advice that Paul is giving us um, would apply to a, I mean, it, sorry, the advice that applies to a doctor, the, the commands basically for a doctor because mm-hmm. of their oaths are just like basic things for Christians. Mm-hmm. 
But one of the main reasons is, again, Jesus is coming back, and he wants not just us, but all to repent and believe. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Even the darkness is light, there's no surprising you. Came trying to hide disguises you see right through, but you stay. Your love remains. Midday thirst gonna move a fighter to find The drive for survival can blind us to idols that end in tragedy. But you stay, your love remains. Ooh, cause the one who knows the best also Yeah.